several weeks concerning concerning in the very beginning it was talking about you know knowing God and how do we know God and how we know God how we come to know God and grow in our knowledge of God is basically different than the vast majority of teaching out there would lead us to believe if you look at all the books you know they teach well, you got a, a journal. You got to practice these so-called spiritual disciplines, which are not found in Scripture. They'll say, "Well, you got to come into His presence," and they have various formulas how to do that, like getting very silent, emptying your mind, start saying a certain phrase, which are the very ways that you other people put you under hypnosis, or yourself, you yourself can put yourself under hypnosis. The Bible teaches to know him is through his word and for thinking on deeply and meditating on that word. Right? Because knowledge shows us in the word, if you remember we talked about, continuously growing and becoming more and more acquainted with. It's not some feeling. It's not some presence. For we know from Scripture, God is always present, right? If you have believed in him, right, you have the Holy Spirit in you, therefore you are constantly in the presence of God. So there's no such thing as working yourself up or finding some way to come into his presence. Now, since we're all in his presence, but how do we get to know him? It's just like anything else. You talk about just like on a personal level, me and my wife know each other a lot better than we did 29 years ago because we've communicated, we've shared with one another. Well, he can, we communicate and share with him through his word. And then walking that out because we have the very, very Holy Spirit within us to help us lead us and guide us and direct us. And, you know, we can have that experimental religion, as they call it, but that's really walking in righteousness and walking in accordance with as his word teaches. And then we grow and grow and grow in that aspect. We've been talking the last several weeks about the Trinitarian nature of God and that he exists in a trinity of persons. And... My glasses, honey. <laughs> I wanted us to try to kind of maybe finish this up. We'll just see how it goes here. But I wanted I wanted us to remember some vital truths concerning this. Thank you. <laughs> yes. No, we I, I'm just just gonna open it up here. Now, so if, and if you want to be ready, we're, we're going to start out as far as Scripture speaks right in Genesis. But I kind of want to do an overview, and I want us to help us to understand, first of all, the practicality. And that is, you know, people always ask all the time, well, okay, what's the practicality of this teaching? How does this affect me? And I always say this, any and all Scripture, irregardless of what it is, is practical. And in this sense, all Scripture helps us to grow in our knowledge of God, which is the most vital thing we can do in our Christian walk. Because the more we grow in our knowledge of God, the closer we come to God, right, the more we are shaped into the image of his Son, right, 
the, the more light, you know, the, the more of a light we can be, the more of a salt we can be, the more, the more the person that he's designed us, that inner man, will take us over. That's why it's practical. Every word of God is there for a purpose. Every single word in his word. And so the Trinity is vitally important. And the reason is understanding that God exists as a Trinity, as I mentioned before, it's so vital because all the errors, all the vital errors that have come with into the church and the church has had to fight against from within has centered in one way or another around the Trinity. It's misrepresenting or misunderstanding the, the person of Christ and his offices misunderstanding the person of the Holy Spirit and his work, you know, and in, in those things, and we discuss some of those. But if we understand the foundation of the Trinity and the clear teaching of it, it's it, right there will give us that huge red flag every time to realize when someone's coming against one of these clear truths, we know that what they're saying, irregardless of the sincerity, is wrong, and therefore it won't be led into listening to it further, Lord, you know, Lord willing, right? But I want to say these truths, and this is true, we can define the Trinity as this, God eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and each person is fully God, and there is one God. Scripture teaches all three of these things, and yet, can we fully understand it? No. I want to go back to what I mentioned about the clear teachings, <clears throat> the clear understandings, and that is one, God from the very beginning in his word represents to us, right, exposes to, to us, explains himself, lets us see him as a plurality, that he exists as a plurality, as one, yet as plural in person, just like I said, just as it teaches, God is one, but God has eternally existed, God has eternally existed as three persons, yet one essence, one substance. We cannot fully comprehend this. But let us just look at some you know, few things when I just said the, the clear teaching of Scripture on this. Genesis 1 in 26, right? And God said, and by the way, that was one other thing too. God, almost every time you read that, except for a few dozen times, it is always using God, the plural deity. Plural. There is, there is, there is a word to use it in singular, and there is some, there is sometimes when it has that, but overall, he represents himself as plural. Well, there's reason for that. They have two different words. Why do they constantly, almost always use, you know, always use it in the plural? They say that because that's the way God, God, you know, reveals himself. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And I discussed this before, but it's a vital point because it gives us that first clear Understanding God right away represents, lets us know there's, there's more than one. He's speaking to someone. He's speaking to an equal. 
Now, some will say they'll, they'll call it, well, this is like a, a king addressing, addressing all his subjects in that. Well, that was true. He was creating the heavenly realms in that. I mentioned a few things. If there's one thing, right? We got to apply our thinking to this. They'll say that. Okay. Man was not yet created, right? He created, he's, right? He's about to create man. No other men exist. There is no creation of man yet. So who's he speaking to when he says, let us make man in our image, if there are no men? It can only be to another one of that is like him. Right? But we know God is one. But there we already see the plural, right? So God created man in his own image. Right? And it's amazing there that we see the plural and the singular used in those two verses, right? Let us make man in our image. So God created man in his own image. The plural and the singular used. It's a mystery, but we do see that plurality. But just turn right to Genesis chapter 3. And go to verse 22, right? This is immediately after the fall. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now let he put forth his hand, and take also the tree of life, and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden, until the ground from whence he was taken. What's interesting there, and the Lord God said, and that name God right there is also plural, and the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us. Again, we see that singular and we see that plural together become as one of us. He cannot be addressing angels because, remember, Jesus explains to us very clearly in the rest of Scripture that angels are a completely distinct creation from man. So, he ha so we just know there that he's talking to an equal, another one like him. So we see that plurality there. But then again in Genesis 11... I just want us to see this, you know, when we understand the, these, I'll call them a simple truth, so remember that's so clear. We see the plurality of God, but we not yet understand how many, how many persons in the Godhead. But we definitely see he's revealing himself onward as, a, a, as plural in his being. In uh, chapter 11, starting in verse 5. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. And this they begin to do, and now nothing will we restrain from them which they have imagined to do. Verse 7. Remember, this is the Lord speaking. Go to, let us go down and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad. The same Lord that said, go to, let us go down. I just want to see this. When we see these clear truths, again, over and over in the very beginning, not only do we see that, that God almost, almost exclusively, when the name God is used, it's in the plural form, but he also tells us we need a singular and plural used over and over again, 
when he said, let us make man in our image. Let us go down. Right? And then the Lord scattered them. We keep seeing that going back and forth. You know, it's, it, you know, but what we haven't had yet revealed, he reveals right away the plurality of persons. There's more than one, right? God is one, but more than one person in the Godhead. We see that immediately. But the one other place I want us to, well, I want us to re recall Genesis 19. We won't go there, but remember, this is, right, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And we saw that, that the Lord, and we know that that's God the Son, right, from reading throughout Scripture, we talked about that at great lengths. But the one where we miss it, where we can really help us to even get an understanding of the Trinity on it, is when he's raining down fire in Genesis 19, it says, And the Lord rained down fire and brimstone from the Lord out of heaven. And we see the Lord on earth and the Lord in heaven at the same time, more, you know, at, at least two persons. But we also know the Spirit of the Lord from chapter 1 hovered over the waters. So in a, in a sense, we actually can prove and see all three from the Old Testament. Now it takes time, but the one thing I want to point out very clearly is what we see in the Old Testament is a slowly further and further and further revelation, overwhelmingly so, God definitely revealing himself in the plural, constantly. And yet, as one, yet distinct, but one in essence. The Godhead is one in essence, but three in persons. And, you know, again, I just keep saying, I, I want to emphasize that because that's something we can't fully comprehend, no. But we can accept and then what Scripture teaches about it. Right. One, one other place I'd, I'd like us to look is uh, go to Isaiah 6. Let's see, th this is so neat when I, in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. This is, we know he had a vision, and now, you know, Isaiah... Isaiah, you know, is a vision of seeing the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, right? His train filled the temple. And you know, it could go into a lot of this because it's interesting too. And we see every time the Lord is mentioned as a vision of him, and you see the angels, you see that in Revelation too, crying, Holy, holy, holy. Why that? Well, there's another deal that is attributed to the Trinity, right? Because holy is the Father, holy is the Son, holy is the Spirit. <laughs> but, but go on to verse 8. Verse 8. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Again, you see the singular. The Lord saying, Who shall I send, and who shall go for us? You know, Again, you know, just like on that, you see the singular and the plural. But it's important to keep these because, remember, the... the the biggest errors in the church when it comes to heresy, I mean, the deep down heresies that really affect our understanding of God and his character and who he is, would, we could completely just dismantle them and not be taken in by them, the better we understand the Trinitarian nature of God. You know, they try to attack the, the first and foremost, the son's internality. The Son's full deity. 
you know, that the sons always insisted that God became a man and suffered and died for us. Right? But when they and they try to explain, well, he hasn't always eternal, he hasn't always existed. He's some form of he's well, he's almost like that, but not quite there. Anything to that extent. There's there's different types of teachings, but it takes away from the fullness of Jesus' deity. And that is grave error. Also, the Holy Spirit, right? Talking about is some force, some created force, some impersonal force of God, or some creature of God, some created thing of God, instead of his full Godhead, his full, you know, majesty and glory. You know, if they understood that, you know, we realize that you're not gonna you're not gonna invoke God, the Spirit, is not gonna do anything that God the Holy Father won't do, or God the Holy Son won't do, because he's holy. By the way, you're holy, you won't, you won't, <laughs> I don't, you, you just won't do a lot of things. You know, I won't get into that, you know, because we, we don't really have the time, but if you think of the way the Holy Spirit is so misrepresented in Pentecostalism, it's sad, because the Holy Spirit's job is to, lead people further and further in the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ and build up Christ and build up our understanding of Christ and build up our understanding of God and lead us into righteousness. Not to claim power for ourselves, not to claim riches, you know, not to march around a city and claim everyone's saved. And then just a lot of ridiculous stuff that goes around there. But if we understand the importance of understanding, if we understand that clarity that there's always been a plurality taught, then, then we can completely dismiss when it says, well, no, they, there's always been more than one person in the Godhead. Right. Yes, go ahead. Again, just, just get back to just the Yeah. 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 And, you know, it's so true. And there's the thing I said before. I'll call it divorcing Scripture from Scripture. Scripture interprets Scripture. That's why we need to study Scripture. You know, and it's good to look through the church. If you remember, we ended off last week with uh, reading several of the creeds and what they said about the Trinity. Because they had to fight this, right? This is always things that have come. It's not things outside the church. The gravest threats to the church are within the church. They always come from within. And these, these attacks on the nature of Christ, the nature of the Holy Spirit, the nature of God, everything, they directly affect and, and come to, and 
and just come to really damage, damage a church. Because the better we understand these things, right, then the better we are, for one, to worship in spirit and truth. And, you know, to better to know our God. He's always existed that way. And remember, the, the really differences are they've always existed, and it says they're all the same as far as in glory, in power, majesty, holiness, omnipresence, right? Omnipotent power, everything. But their differences reside in how they relate to us, their, cre their creation, their creation. They've always existed perfectly amongst one another, perfect love, perfect union, you know, just perfectly with one another. They need nothing. But they've decided to share themselves, create us and share themselves with us. That, that's just an amazing thing. But as I said in that, let's just go to the New Testament real quick. I just want to get some of the, these clear truths because, you know, really if we get these things down and understand that, it can it really right away immediately throw a flag when we start hearing things that differ from these, from these well-known concrete truths in Scripture. But remember, go to Matthew 28, 19, and again, right, that's Jesus after he rose, before he ascended. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And that is important because he didn't say in the names of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. In the name of the Father and in the name of the Son and in the name of the Holy Ghost. And that's how you'd read that. You could just in, interpret that because the way the way it's worded in the grammar and in the name. It's the distinction of persons. It always is unless it is directly says otherwise. And they can argue and they, you know, and you hear these oneness people, you know, and that's one of the main things. Modalism, trying to say that God's existed well, you know, he exists in the Old Testament, right? He exists up in heaven, right? He's got, he, he was, you know, represents God the Father to us. But then we see him in person, and then when he was on earth, right, it's God the Son. Oh, and then when it's his, you know, the force and the power of God being talked about, well, then he's representing himself as his spirit. It's, it's some way or another of that. That's what the teachings go to. And again, that is just wrong, because it shows a distinction. And you got to keep in mind, Scripture interprets Scripture. We see that can't be true because we see the distinctions. First of all, like at the baptism, the Father spoke, right? The Holy Ghost was there representing. We saw him descending as a dove. He lighted upon Jesus. And we see the Son there. We're not, Jesus was not schizophrenic, and the writers were not schizophrenic when they were writing. But... Well, we got to keep in mind, well, what do we see? Not the force there. I told you to keep a couple things in mind. When you see in the Old Testament, especially even in the New Testament, many times you'll see people, the Holy Spirit coming upon, you know, and he went in the power of the Spirit. Keep that in mind when you hear people trying to tell you some kind of impersonal force or power. Because according to them, if it is, if the Holy Spirit, when it mentions that it's some kind of power, that means that's always saying, well, he's coming in the power of the power. It makes no sense. It makes no grammatical sense at all. It's nonsensical. And God is anything but. But to keep those things in mind, we also looked at distinctly throughout the New Testament. 
And especially, especially in the Gospel of John and in 1 John and in Revelation, we look at those, he represents Jesus as the unique Son of God and God in the flesh, equal with the Father, and in whose belief in and trust in his name we have eternal life. Right. Also, you see Jesus, that very God in the flesh, giving personhood 20 times to the Holy Spirit just in John alone through chapters 14 through 16. He, 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 him. Right? Denoting personhood. Also, if you remember we looked at that, the Holy Spirit, it didn't touch on this one thing. Go to 1 Corinthians. I want you to notice that, right, it's, remember, keep in mind, we show that it's not a force, it's a person. Holy Ghost is a person, right? Keeping all the other truths of Scripture combined with the teaching of the Trinitarian nature of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. What's well, so nice, right? A lot of times we can we go to this teaching and it understands, we understand there's spiritual gifts given to us by God, right? But let's see who gives us those gifts and who distributes them. You know, it's just that all teaching is intertwined, right? We can teach us about gifts, but it also teaches us something about the nature of God and the Trinity of God. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I will not have you ignorant. You know, you are Gentiles carried away under these dumb idols, even as you were led. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed. Two things, the Spirit of God and Jesus are separate. Right, Spirit of God, Holy Spirit. And that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost, who we already saw is a unique actual person. Right? We know, right, the third member of the Trinity, the Godhead, right? But now there is it, but now there are diversities of gifts, but the same. What? Yeah, yeah. And there are differences of administrations, but the same. Lord, and there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to any man to profit with all. This is amazing when you read this, right? You can see, because you see right away, we're introduced to the Spirit of God, we're introduced to the Son, Jesus Christ, right? And then we're told, where they're called combined together, saying, as the man who works all is God, right? But the manifestation of the Spirit is given with all to every man to profit, for the one is given by by the Spirit. Well, who gives them though? Just so above, right? It's the same God who worketh all in all. But right? But you can be given, right, the word of wisdom by the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit. And we could go on, right? But just go down, right? Verse 11. But all these worketh that one and the self-same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. He, who? The spirit. Who? God. It just There's so many places, but I want us to understand this. It goes really into very great lengths. He lets us know in the New Testament, right, that the Holy Spirit is fully God. And, of course, the Son is fully God. Those are just important aspects to know. 
uh, you know, if, if you came in late, as I was saying before, it's so important because nowadays and for years, and we've had it in this very church, people have come in here and say, well, you know, I, that doctrine, it divides. Yeah, 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 it's, it does divide, and it's supposed to divide. One, it divides the sheep from the goats, but the other thing it'll really divide, how, how should I call it? Really, I guess, just the false teaching from the true. I mean, a little, a little differently, this, sometimes people, I believe in their traditions, are, they don't listen to scripture, and they lean on their own understanding, and they won't, and they won't submit to the clear teaching of scripture just because it goes against their preconceived thoughts on something. But we must understand that Scripture is the Word of God. That's why we emphasize that. And when we say that, we must understand it was not man's conception of who God was. It was God speaking through the man, saying who he is. Big difference. And in a lot of the seminaries, cemeteries out there, I'll call them, they do that to teach that. I've taught them. If you were running into someone that's recently come out of cemetery, <laughs> for the most part, they'll do that. They, they are trying to confound people. They'll bring up this stuff about like, oh, well, Moses, did you ever notice? It looks like there was four different writers of Moses. Oh, you can see the distinctions here and here and there. And they try to say in one way or another, what they try to do is confuse people and they're trying to say, what they're trying to get people to believe in is no, that was just like, uh, you know, Paul here. That was his understanding at that time. Or you go to the Old Testament. Well, that was Isaiah's understanding at that time. Right? You know, and that, that's why also this constant new revelation stuff is so much garbage and so dangerous. Because we cannot be sure of anything that is spoken about God unless it is confirmed for us in the word of God. Anything else is at the very best of our imagination. And I would say if it contradicts something in Scripture, it is definitely wrong. But if we are trying to, like, they have, this has always been in the church Gnosticism, but trying to say there's some kind of hidden truths that we must really delve into to get to know we'll become such more superior Christians. Hey, that was called abomination and heresy from the beginning. It always has been. It always will be. Because at the very least, what you're doing is trying to go into forbidden subjects. Going into forbidden subjects. If God's chosen not to reveal it, you shouldn't be trying to find it out. It, you know, that's what appealed to Eve. That's what the devil used to appeal to Eve. Hath God said, right, don't touch this. Well, God said, no, don't try to examine this. Right, because it, really it is. I don't care who it is talking. I don't care if you trust them. I don't care if they they seem sound in Scripture. If they're going outside of Scripture to teach you something about God, they're in error. And the longer they stay that way, the the worse that error is going to get. But it's just so important to understand these truths. But I want us to look at one other thing. I know we're out of time, but I didn't really. See before, but it's so interesting about, you know, I talked about, you know, at the start before, so many scriptures. And for instance, the great heavenly witness in 1 John 5, 7. I got to mention that one more time since we're going that up. 
There's many that say in this day and age that, well, that was just added. Well, it's scripture, and it's a very powerful scripture for us to help prove the Trinity, because there it says three separate persons, or else it wouldn't be three different witnesses, right? It'd be the same witness if they weren't different. Give evidence to Jesus being the Son of God, right? Because the Word became flesh, and the Father, the Word, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Very powerful. But I want to see one other thing that's so amazing. Go to the book of Revelation. And, uh, you know, it's been like, you know, 18 and a half years that, you know, when Mike started Revelation 1 back, you know. <laughs> but but he, he covered some of this, but it's so amazing because I want us to, to look at this again. And sometimes you just get really delve into Scripture. We can miss these things. Again, we, as we read Scripture, once the Trinity becomes, the more plain it becomes to you, the more you understand the clear teachings, the more we start seeing it all over Scripture. And we can pass right by this. Mike did really good, but I believe it's been about two years and six or seven months since we talked about this. So if you weren't here, just uh, Revelation 1, verse 4. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come. Amen. For, from God. And you can go that, but trace that back even all the way back to, in a God Love reference Bibles, I'll tell you to go to Exodus 3.14. We won't go there right away, but that's from the bush. And Moses asked, when I go to the children of Israel, right, whom shall I say sent me? I am sent you. Tell him I am. Right? He is who he was. What that really denotes who is and who was and who is to come is the eternality of God. He is. He always has been. He always will be. But you notice this. Okay, grace be unto you and peace. From him, the Father, which is, which was, and which is to come. And from the seven spirits are before his throne. Now you understand seven is a symbolic number, meaning completion, uh, perfection, purity. It's just perfection and completion. You look throughout, throughout the Old Testament, but you find that, for, for instance, one of my best places, but just look. Do you think, why was it, when he's representing us like the fall of Jericho, why not just put the story down, hey, you know, and they went in and uh, they blew some trumpets and, you know, and uh, praise God and the walls of Jericho fell down. You know, it's, nope, seven priests shall carry seven trumpets. You'll go around the city seven days, seven times, right? You'll go through it, seven, 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 seven. The leper to be cleansed, right? Had to be sprinkled water seven times. Naming the leper, he had to be seven times all the leper. But you look throughout Scripture in the Old Testament, you see the number seven. You come to Revelation number seven, just understand it's always completeness. When we understand that's completeness, when it talks to seven spirits of God, understanding it's talking about the Holy Spirit. And we'll, we'll see more of that, but just to make that point clear, which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne... Right? Who, whose throne, right? Well, the Father's throne, the, the Almighty, the Eternal One's throne. Right? And from Jesus Christ. Right? The Father, the Holy Spirit, and, and the Son, 
all spoken about. But I want us to see something. With the seven spirits, if you're wondering, well, is that the Holy Spirit? Or, or does God have seven spirits wandering around all over the place? Right? It, Old Testament is clear, it, and it's clear from the New Testament too, right? There's one spirit, right? There's one God the Father, right? There's one spirit, not seven spirits, but seven shows that, you know, denotes that completion. But go to Revelation chapter 3, and right in verse 1, And then the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God. And the seven stars, I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and are dead. Okay, saith he that hath the seven spirits of God. And you notice in your Bible there, spirits of God, right, capitalized. But you understand that that is symbolic. There are not seven spirits. There is one spirit of God. He's always represented as one spirit throughout the Old Testament. But go on to Revelation chapter 4. In verse 5, And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Why does it keep mentioning that? Okay, we'll get to that in a moment. But go to Revelation 5. I just wanted to see where, you know, this seven spirits of God is mentioned a lot right away in Revelation. Revelation 5. Drop down to verse 6, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, and we know that's the son, right? As it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth in all the earth. So not only are the seven eyes, also the seven horns are the seven spirits of God. Okay, seven showing completeness, horns showing power. Right? Eyes showing omnipresence. God is everywhere at all times. The way he relates to us in the creation of the world, you know, has been has been by his spirit. And that's the Holy Spirit's function. But what it's showing there, right, again, just about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirits of God, you know, of God, but all three of them are mentioned there consistently throughout Revelation. I, I just want us to, again, to understand that when people come upon and they try to uh, try to teach that either the Trinity is false, these oneness people are very dangerous because it, it takes away, it takes away from, one, the nature of God. And, you know, as I said in the beginning, the practicality of this doctrine by and large, the biggest practicality of it is God wants us to know it. And anything God writes in his word is practical for it because it builds us up. And we increase in the knowledge of God. And that strengthens and enriches our prayer life because it strengthens and enriches our understanding of him. Right? And, under, and understanding how he works. Can we comprehend it? No, but we can know the Bible teaches that God is one. But God is, God is eternal. God is also three persons, all eternally existing, yet one essence. 
I keep saying that because people can, we're, we're not teaching, right? There's three different divine beings. There are three different beings. There's three different persons. They're one essence, one substance. They've all existed. And they've existed in perfect union with one another. Always. Everything else was created. Except God has always existed. But I just want, any, anyone got any questions? Yeah, in 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 a, a few of I'm just wondering. I think it's yeah. I think around the time you really started it. Okay, I will. Did you have a question? Or okay, okay. I, I want us to all think about this because I'm hoping next week when we get together, maybe people will we'll ask some questions or anything and help even stimulate my thinking some on it. But I, I want to just last week before we finally move on. And that is talk about this and some questions we may have in that. And that is one like, well, so who do we pray to? I mean, for instance, are, at what time should we pray to different people at different times, right? And some unique functions, but mainly of, right, the sun and how, how it equates to that. But let's everyone think about that because it's fine too because I want everyone else to remember too the good purpose of Bible study is also is, you know, feel free, even though we record it, we can interact, ask questions, you know, ask questions or, you know, comment, you know, and that's just fine, okay? With that, Mike, would you please close us in a word of prayer? Amen.